Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of Step 2 Simplified. As always, I'm your host, Bo, again, reunited with Bobby M. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. And we have another fantastic episode of Buzzwords for you. If this is anyone's first episode, Buzzwords is the show in Step 2 Simplified where Bobby and I get together. Bobby is a high-scoring, high-achieving medical student who absolutely destroyed his Step 2 CK and we get together and we crack open some brews and we kind of just pimp each other on buzzwords of the Step 2 CK exam. And if by some chance, some miracle, Bobby M or myself, if we do not get the question correct, then we drink. Uh, last last episode, we seemed to get quite a few correct if I'm um, not mistaken. So we ended up just uh, drinking anyways. So uh, anything else you wanna add, Bobby, before we start? No, I'm excited, let's get started. Excited? What uh? What are you uh, sipping on today? So today I am drinking Slangria by uh, Rheingeist. It's like a, it's basically like Sangria, but it is like carbonated in a beer can. It's pretty good. What about you? Nice. Have you had that before? Uh, I I have had it before. I had it a couple weeks ago, and it was so good. I was like, oh, I'll try it again. Cool. I am uh. I'm actually trying the Citrus and Piney India Pale Ale today. It's got this cool kind of orange logo on it. Um, it says inhale, drink fresh, and I think it's made by, it says brewed and canned by the Hop Concept in San Marcos, California. So relatively local California yeah, nice. uh, brewery. Yeah, good reviews on Beer Advocates, so I'm excited to try it. Cheers, well, I'll drink to that. I'll drink to that, ready? Let's begin. <laughs> so, a patient who's on uh, chronic steroids comes in and they get uh, some surgery or whatever and surgery goes fine and they uh, emerge from anesthesia and they're they're really hypotensive and they slip into a coma and they're difficult to rouse. What's going on? Um, that was a long buzzword, by the way. Yeah, well, I'm already buzzed, so <laughs> going off the rails. Um, the person is basically has in adrenal insufficiency. Their their adrenal gland is not used to producing steroids because they've had so much exogenous steroids for quite some time. So yep. they're basically like kind of like in a hypotensive uh, adrenal crisis. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I think is it exogenous steroids is like the number one reason um, people kind of go into this state. Like it's the number one reason people do have um, adrenal crisis, or is it actually just the number one reason people have Cushing's? Like a Cushing is kind of you know, I think it might actually be the most common cause of both. Cause it, I mean, we love steroids so much. Like a lot of a lot of patients get steroids for a lot of reasons. Um, so I think it is actually the most common cause of you know like Cushing sim symptoms as well as I guess when your adrenal gland isn't functioning, it's called like an Adansonian crisis. Um, right. So it's kind of you know the medicine's fault that we we put these people through both too much and not enough steroids. I'll drink to that. Cheers. All right, kind of some fast facts, but what is the A1C cutoff for diabetes? 6.5. Perfect. And just uh, to kind of tail off that, if you want to test someone's diabetes, uh, fasting glucose around 126, postprandial or random glucose around 200 milligrams per deciliter. And if you're concerned about type 1 diabetes, are there any antibodies that you can check? Um, so if I remember correctly, there's actually a few different antibodies. I guess you could check like an anti um, beta cell antibody would be like the one that comes to mind. Yep. 
The other one's kind of tough. It's kind of random, but I saw it. It's on like GAD sixty five or something. It's some weird one. It might be. It, that might be the short shorthand for it. But uh, from my uh, research, I have anti islet cells, which is kind of what you said with the beta, and then anti glutamic acid decarboxylase. So that sounds like GAD to me. Yeah, that is GAD. Yeah. So those are the two antibodies that would concern you for type one diabetes and might be a hint in an otherwise confusing passage in regards to uh, this patient having type one versus type two or some other. Uh, you know, Cushing like disease or something like that. Just to piggyback off that real quick, what's the most common cause of death in a diabetic patient? So, isn't it actually heart disease? It is cardiovascular disease. Ring, ding, ding, ding. Well done. Step two legend. Cheers. I'll drink to that. Cheers. To, I'll drink to that. Ah, I know those audio listeners last... at home love the slurping. The slurping is key. That's a. We got a lot of good feedback from the first episode. One was um, make sure that the audio is uh, actually. Uh, produced correctly so that we're not in uh, individual ears so check on that hopefully well we'll see no promises <laughs> but two uh, they they all unanimously all four people said hey we need more slurping and so well we i for one am happy to oblige <laughs> live to serve so i know i've asked you a couple questions i'm just going to ask you one more because it's all based off diabetes mm-hmm. oh by the way guys this is the endocrine episode of uh buzzwords today we might split it up into two because endocrine is such a large concept. So I'm going to just name a drug. You name me the major side effect or the most concerning side effect or the most common. I have. I think all answers are helpful and, and would be useful to the listener. So major side effect of sulfonylurea. Sulfonylureas cause uh, hypoglycemia. Perfect. Yep, hypoglycemia, maybe some weight gain, but hypoglycemia is the most important, most dangerous manifestation of sulfonylureas. How about metformin? So metformin can cause lactic acidosis in like critically ill patients, and I believe it's also um, renal failure patients. Yeah, it's exactly right. Yeah, you're worried about you know, patients with poor renal function. You don't want to give metformin for the concern of lactic acidosis. And then the most common manifestation or, or side effect is diarrhea. Um, but lactic acidosis is the one we worry about, at least in the hospital, and that's why uh, most, if not all, patients that come into the hospital are uh, that are on home metformin are taken off of our insulin. Hmm. Um, and then the last one, this is the toughest one. This is for 50 bonus points and uh, 0.014 shares of Tesla. Um, which uh, medication for uh, diabetes is contraindicated in patients with heart failure? So uh, heart failure, you don't want to give uh, thiazolidine dione, also known as the glitazones, because wow. uh, it can cause a exacerbation of CHF. Wow. To the listener at home, this is not a stage podcast. There's no way he could have read my notes. That is a fantastic answer. That is what you get when you work with the best. All right. That was impressive. You pronounced that incredibly well, too. How'd you know that so easily? Well, I don't know. If you know, you know. Seriously. Uh, it's well, like, sketchy. Are you thinking about like sketchy at all? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm remembering sketchy. <laughs> sketchy is the best. I mean, amazing. Still has a resident. You can still think about sketchy. Like, oh, yeah, it's crazy. Does this? And you're like, oh, wait, hold on. The uh, leprechaun was chasing the giant up the beanstalk. Oh yeah, oh. octreotide. Okay. Everybody knows. That one's tough. That one's tough. Um. Okay. Let's see. I guess piggybacking off the diabetes a little bit. Um, what is the first line treatment for either just pre-existing or gestational diabetes in pregnancy? Um, top of my head, I feel like you'd have to get these pregnant women insulin. Yeah, that's correct. So classically, like if you see it on a test, insulin's the correct answer. Um, but 
in clinical practice these days, people are actually starting to use some of the oral agents as well, like metformin is safe in pregnancy. Good to know. Yeah, it's, it's tough with pregnant pregnant women for sure. Okay, I'm gonna uh, kind of switch gears, talk about the thyroid for a little bit. Okay. So this is kind of a general question. It might be a little bit more of a read my mind question, but I think it has some good teaching points. But um, the best lab test for thyroid disease screening is what test? Um, I would get a TSH. So the best test is a TSH and the TSH, it's tough to alter the TSH. I mean, there are ways, but it's much less volatile compared to, you know, T3, T4, which can be altered based on binding proteins among other things. So like if a pregnant patient came in and they had increased sex binding protein, they would have lower T3, lower T4, and, and you would have to, you know, you wouldn't be able to tell anything from those. So TSH is by far the best initial lab screen um, for these patients. And just yeah. as a little bonus point, um, if you did have a pregnant woman and she was hypothyroid and she was on levothyroxine, some type of supplemental thyroxine, um, and she was pregnant now, uh, what would you recommend? Would you recommend that she keep the current dose, that she up her current dose, or maybe that she backs off? So if I remember correctly, you actually up your dose by like 30 to 40% of your um, thyroid medications when you become pregnant just because you, you have more um, binding proteins. So your your actual free T4 will be the same or go down, but your your total T4 will actually go up. And so Perfect. you have to supplement so that you maintain like the physiologic changes of pregnancy as a result. To piggyback off the uh, thyroid, if we had a patient um, and you were concerned for Graves' disease and the attending says, hey, what are the very specific physical exam findings that are very specific to Graves? Anything come to mind? So the biggest one um, for the 90 Day Fiance fans out there is actually exophthalmos, where the eyes kind of bulge out of their sockets. Um, Ash from the most recent season of 90 Day Fiance actually has that. Um, I'm looking it up right now. The other thing that's a little bit less specific because it can actually also be seen in hypothyroidism is uh, pretibial myxedema, which is basically non-pitting edema in your like calf region. I'm looking at a picture of Ash right now. Mm-hmm. Am I right? Or am I right? Does he actually have it or no? Uh, I'm not sure if it's confirmed, but like, look at it. I mean, oh like you look God. at those guys' eyes. You see, like, look, it's ridiculous. I mean, there's some pictures where he's like totally normal, though. But he does. Yeah, like older pictures. But like, even when he, he's squinting, like he's squinting in a lot of pictures and it's still a little, uh, I don't know. What is 90 days? Exo- Anyways, oh, okay. Never mind. I've never even heard of this show. Avery. Okay, and there's one more. That's exactly right. Except almost pre-tibial myxedema. And there's one more. Uh, that our listeners should know. For Graves' disease, I mean, it's like a swollen, non-tender thyroid. Exactly, yep. And if you listen to it, maybe, just maybe, you could hear a bruit. Something yeah, like I think... increased vascularity in, in the thyroid gland. Like Yeah, if you degrees. if you do an ultrasound, it's actually called, like, the blaze sign or something, just because cause if you put a Doppler on it, it's so vascularized that it just, like, lights up red. Hmm. Makes sense to me. We'll drink to that. Just a quick, uh, quick break. How are you uh, liking your drink so far? Uh, it's actually really good. I uh, have been aerating a little bit too much because I've been slurping, but um, it's pretty tasty. How's yours? Um, it's good. It's. I actually think I prefer the orange IPA I had last week. Mm-hmm. Um, this one does have some orange peel and honey aromas. Uh, it's not bad by any means, but I'm just trying to compare it from last week's, and I think... The uh, First Amendment orange, uh, blood orange IPA still has its beat just by a bit. 
mm-hmm. but it's not bad by any means. Nice. Yeah, this this is better than the beer that I had last week. It's probably colder too. Yeah. Well, we didn't. You didn't make me sit there and wait as long, so I appreciate that. All right. Um, what do you have so, in terms of since we're talking about thyroid, what is the first test that you would want to order for somebody that you feel like a thyroid nodule on? You feel a thyroid nodule. Mm-hmm. Um, are you worried about million? Okay, I, I, I guess I won't ask answer your question with a question. Um, hmm. It's very Ivy League view. I would do an ultrasound, probably. Yeah, exactly. So and if you I started, can, I can, oh sorry, continue. Well, I just I, for the viewers at home, what would you want to do after you got that ultrasound and you confirmed that there's there's a lump there? Okay, perfect. That was kind of what I wanted to talk about too. If you're like, if you do ultrasound, you're kind of concerned. You're like, oh, it's like kind of hard, and maybe it's not like entirely cystic. But even so, we want to just know what it is. Mm-hmm. We would do a FNA or a fine needle aspiration. Is that the answer? So that used to be or the we're answer. We're going to do a TSH first. Yeah, so you want to check a TSH first, actually, because that kind of helps guide your your treatment algorithm okay. or your diagnostic algorithm, rather. So if you get the TSH and it's high, what does that suggest about the nodule? If it's high or like normal. Like if the TSH high. is normal or normal high, I guess. Yeah, okay. Then that's more worrisome because mm-hmm. that means that the nodule is not producing any thyroid. So like you break the nodules down into like, you know, active nodules, which are producing thyroid hormone and inactive. And in mm-hmm. this case, if the TSH is normal, I'm assuming that the thyroid nodule is rather inactive and those kind of point you towards a more malignant route versus a nodule that is producing plenty of T4 would bring down the TSH and therefore has a lower, I guess, possibility of being an active malignancy rather than just like an hyperactive kind of goiter setting. Yeah, exactly. So if, if the TSH is high, that's a little bit worrisome because it's a cold nodule. So that's when you would go down the final aspiration pathway versus if the TSH is low, it's being suppressed by the extra thyroid hormone produced by the nodule. And that's when you would actually do the uh, radio iodine uptake to kind of confirm if it was hot or cold. You'd also, I believe, do a, a radio iodine uptake if it's kind of like borderline and you're just not exactly sure. Perfect. And I guess just for our listeners, if they're giving you a question stem and you see anything such as fixed lymph nodes, hoarseness in the voice, or any potential reason for childhood neck irradiation, start leaning towards a more malignant path. Don't take those as just like random random cues. Those are very important in the setting of a thyroid question for the USMLA. Yeah. And you should be worried about malignancy. So lymph nodes, lymph nodes that are like infectious are things that are, they're rubbery, they're mobile and painful. And so those aren't that big of a deal, but lymph nodes that are firm, non-tender and are, you know, fixed in location. That's when you should be worried about some type of malignancy going on in the area. So uh, kind of to piggyback off that, I was thinking about, I had some of the exact same questions that you posed to me. And so we talked about the fine needle aspiration. And so kind of totally unrelated to the thyroid and, and maybe even endocrine in general, but along the same lines of fine needle aspiration, creating those webs in our brains that connect, connect different concepts. Um, what if there's another tumor in your body that if you're concerned for malignancy, you take that organ out and you do not do a fine needle aspiration because you have concern for seeding. Which kind of tumor or what body part? So that would be your gonads. So in men, if you're concerned about testicular cancer, you just do a, a radical inguinal um, orchiectomy. And then you also would consider doing that in um, pre-menopausal females that have like a, a concerning mass. You just, you take the whole um, ovary out 
for a concern of seeding because if you do an a, a fna on it then you you create a track yep perfect yep that's what i want to say especially about the uh, gonads um don't want to seed anything it's especially for the testes like it's okay to take one out you know it's not the end of the world so um it's much more important to make sure the person is safe and healthy um, mm -hmm. great um just going back to the thyroid for a second um so what are the what are the four types of thyroid cancer oh gosh um so you have papillary mm -hmm. you have medullary mm -hmm. you have anaplastic yep and you're and getting you one more yeah perfect and so out of those so, four yeah. which one can you not use a uh, fna to diagnose can you not use an fna you can use an fna for papillary mm -hmm. you can use an fna for anaplastic you can use yeah. an fna Oh, I don't know. Why wouldn't you be able to use an FNA for follicular or medullary? I would guess medullary. Mm. Medullary, you can see those like calcitonin. I've seen, I guess I'm, I'm like in my head, I'm trying to see like, what have I seen pathological like images of? And I've seen medullary yeah. pathological. So I'm going to go follicular just randomly. Nice. Good guess. Very good. So the difference between a follicular adenoma, which is benign, and a follicular carcinoma, which is right. malignant, is uh, whether or not it's invaded past the capsule. And oh, so you can't get margins on the surgical specimen just from an FNA. So, so for those those instances, you actually have to take the nodule out and you know do a bunch of send it to path and have them do a bunch of cross sectioning to to see whether or not it invaded past the capsule. Ah, that was high yield. I like that. Learn from the best. I'll drink to that. Cheers. And uh, <coughs> if somebody, if so, <laughs> are you all right? Was that is that the, <laughs> the next level slurp? It's like a super slurp. <laughs> A little mild painful. aspiration. <laughs> um, Live dangerously. Yeah, yeah, you know, YOLO. Carpe diem. Um, so what is the lab value that you'd want to track for somebody that had had or is currently having a medullary thyroid cancer? Lab value for medullary thyroid cancer. Um, immediately I start thinking about calcitonin in this. So maybe calcium? Uh, no, you just, check the, calci you just check the calcitonin oh, okay. directly, actually. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Okay, didn't know that. I have a, another question in regards to um, osteoporosis, actually. Mm -hmm. So the definition of osteoporosis, um, or I guess the diagnosis of osteoporosis, requires a bone mineral density with a standard, devi standard deviation less than how many from the normal peak? What's so it's uh, 2.5 for osteoporosis. Perfect. Yeah, and it's like, what, is it like maybe between 2.5 and 1 or 1.5 for osteopenia? Yeah, I think it's it's negative 1 to negative 2.5 for osteopenia. Okay, perfect. So you have osteoporosis, and then if, let's say someone has osteopenia, or maybe you're just concerned for osteoporosis, or the question stem says, how can we prevent osteoporosis? What are the couple things that we want to make sure the patient's doing or not doing um, to you know give them the best shot of not getting osteoporosis? So there's a few things you can do. Calcium and vitamin D to kind of help build things up um, and kind of provide more resources for bone regrowth and remodeling. And then to kind of prevent bones from breaking down, you want to do things like creative exercise programs, alcohol cessation, smoking cessation um, are the big ones that come to mind. Yep, um, just exactly living, right. living like a healthy, active lifestyle will help keep your bones healthy. Yep, perfect. Calcium and vitamin D to help prevent bone loss and then you know no smoking steroids are no good um you know weighted exercise etc etc great then let's say someone does get osteoporosis what's the first line kind of anti-resorptive agent granted so that, assuming everything else is you know equal uh so that would be bisphosphonates 
perfect. And like if someone has a bisphosphonate and then they immediately lay down, why is that bad? So, well, bisphosphonates are kind of nasty in the whole GI system for two reasons. One, they can cause, um, they're a pretty common culprit for pillosophagitis and erosive esophagitis. And then they can also actually cause osteonecrosis of the jaw. Yep. Perfect. Those are the two main things. So I recently went to the dentist and one of the questions was, um, are you on a bisphosphonate? And I thought, oh, interesting. Like they, they need to know that because of the osteonecrosis. Damn, getting pimped by your dentist. Can't, he, can't escape it wherever you go. Can't escape it. Can't run from it. Comes all the same. <laughs> I'll drink to that. Sure. <laughs> all right. You're going to hurt yourself. <laughs> it's too bubbly. It's too uh, too hoppy. We don't have insurance, so well, there's no payouts for workplace <laughs> injuries. I'm just telling you now. This is 8.5%, by the way. Dang, what is mine? Uh, oh, wow. 5%. Yeah. What is, like, regular, like, Bud Light? Like, 3? Uh, I'm the wrong person to ask. If I had to guess, I'd say 4 to 4.5. I just feel like beer is strong. It's stronger than I would expect it to be. Like, 8%. That's a lot. Isn't isn't wine, like, 9? 9 or 10? It could be. Yeah. This is a this is quality stuff. That's why a beer advocate gave this 90%. Mm. This isn't even a sponsored ad. Yet. <laughs> All right, hit me. Um, okay. We've kind of been jumping around regionally. Let's see. What should we talk about from an endocrine standpoint? Well, I have two more things about bones real quick. If you want me to just finish up with bones. Yeah, let's finish our bone talk. All let's right. finish being in the bone zone, if you will. Bone zone. All right. Patient comes in. This is classic step one, step two. CK is still important. Elevated serum, alkaline phosphatase, normal calcium and phosphate makes you think of what? Paget's. Perfect. Paget's disease, kind of increased bone turnover, leading to that mosaic bone pattern. It classically... Ballback edits the podcast, so he's going to hear this part, but he uh, disconnected. So now I'm just sitting here silently waiting for him to come back. I'll just kind of give an overview. So elevated serum, alkaphos, with everything else being normal, think about Paget's disease, think about the guy that comes in with you know, his hat can't, doesn't fit on his head anymore. You take an x-ray, you see all these kind of lytic lesions uh, throughout, you know, whether it be the vertebrae or the skull. You want to make sure that there's no kind of suspicion for a metastatic cancer or some type of malignancy that can also lead to this kind of lytic lesion profile. But um, if all the labs other than Alkafos are normal, then think about the question as if it's pointing towards a more Paget disease profile rather than a malignant kind of osteolytic profile. Yeah, and the thing to remember with Padgett's too is um, it's not just lytic lesions. Those are easier to pick up on, actually, but you also will see a mix of lytic and uh, blastic lesions as well. Right. And for our uh, cardiology-bound listeners, what is the thing that you guys are worried about for somebody with Padgett's disease? Oh, yeah. It's um, high-output heart failure, right? Yeah, exactly. So all this uh, metabolic activity in the bones with you know the dysregulated... Um, Bone buildup and breakdown actually increases vascularity to the point that it creates a a uh, high volume circuit for for blood to flow and that can actually overwhelm the heart and lead to high output heart failure. Okay, so here's one more uh, endocrine kind of calcium question for you. What if a patient comes in um, with kidney stones and it kind of tends to run in their family? What is something that you would think about? Oh no. Um... I want to say like familial hypercalciuria, 
Um, is that a thing? Yeah, so it's actually, the name's annoying because it has hyper and hypo in the name, but it's familio hypercalciuric hypocalcemia. Mm. And so basically so, what happens is it's something with your calcium sensing receptor that is uh, less sensitive than it should be. So your your PTH level ends up being high. And that means that your your urine calcium is high, which predisposes you to kidney stones and your blood calcium's low to like low. So what do you do for these patients? So the treatment for them is actually, um, I believe it's thiazides, which helps kind of reset the uh, homeostatic set point and helps retain more calcium and prevents as much uh, urinary calcium losses. Hmm. And that's mainly just okay. to treat the kidney stones. They're, they tend to be otherwise pretty asymptomatic. I don't think that they really have a substantially increased incidence of, of osteoporosis or osteopenia. Okay. I'll drink to that. Cheers. All right, I think that wraps up today's podcast. How is your drink? If you had to give it a scale from 0 to 10, what would this drink be? Um... I'll be honest, I like this a lot. It's it's pretty fruity, so it's not something that I'd want to drink, you know, all the time. And I could see, like, drinking a six-pack of this would give you a pretty bad hangover. Um, but, like, one or two in the afternoon, I'd, I'd give it a solid seven. And uh, how's nice. your drink been? Uh, it's good. I definitely I definitely enjoy it. Um, i say probably a six out of ten today, just because I'm comparing it to last week's. And last week's was kind of, like, probably, like, around an eight or nine out of ten. It was, it was really good. So, mm-hmm. six out of ten... Definitely like this one. Would I have another today or even tomorrow? Probably not. Probably need a little bit of a break. But um, overall, definitely would get it again in the future. Nice. All right, guys. That is it for today's episode. As always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, insights, feel free to reach out to us at iatrogenicproductions at gmail.com. Until next time, have a fantastic week. We will see you soon. Bye-bye. Take it easy. Stay frosty.